Well, uh, I think we're live. Welcome back. This is the Morning Brushback. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm here by way of Zoom, Bobby Stevens in Chicago. How you doing, Bob? I'm good. Good morning. Good early afternoon. Good early afternoon. And we've got awesome guests today, uh, Jeff Fry, reporting from Fort Worth, Texas. Jeff, thanks for being on the show. She Gone Nation. And we've got uh, Richard Skank out in Missouri. How are you, Richard? I'm good. So highly anticipated. A um, couple things for you if you're out there listening today, and I'll reiterate as we go. Uh, you, this is obviously being simulcast on YouTube and my Twitter. So welcome. Uh, feel free to leave us questions. So Bobby will be managing the, uh, the Periscope Twitter comments. So if you want to leave one on Periscope, do it. Um, and I'll be kind of checking the YouTube comments. So if you have questions for either of our, our guys here, uh, we'll be pretty uh, attentive to it. So you can you can ask and we'll kind of throw them in where they're, where they're relevant and contextual, but we're just talking about snooker. So wait, is one of you, Jeff, are you a legendary snooker player or or what's the deal? Why are we talking about snooker? I wouldn't say legendary, but that's a pretty good battles. I won a couple pool tournaments uh, when I was in college. Um, I I grew up in uh, the Bay area in California and my grandmother owned a uh, bar and had a pool table. So I would go in there ever since I was a little boy and I would play uh, pool standing on a milk crate against the town <laughs> bum who would wander in there from time to time. And uh, so I've always loved a pool. I had a pool table in my house. You know, in Oklahoma, we had one in our shed. So I've, you know, I've played pool my whole life. Mm-hmm. It's one of those games that's it's surprisingly, like everyone can be kind of mediocre at it, I feel like, but it's really hard to be really good at it. It takes a lot of discipline, I feel like to actually like, get the English on it so it goes and sets you up for the next shot. That's, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys just have, in my, I mean, Richard would know more than me, but uh, in my experience, I mean, it takes a lot of practice. And if you don't play for a while, it kind of takes uh, a few games to get back in the groove. But if you're playing consistently, you can, you know, and, and you, you kind of have an idea of how to work the ball and stuff like that, you can get pretty good at it. And Richard, you own a pool hall, right? Or you I have? Do. So what's your game? Also, are you a legend or what's how how do you rank within your own club? Your uh, when I played within my own club, top ten maybe. But when I played a lot, which I don't anymore, uh, maybe top twenty in the metropolitan area. That's pretty serious. And one of my favorite old movies is the Jackie Gleason, uh, Paul Newman movie, The Hustler. I think it's a great movie. You guys both seen it, I assume. Oh yeah. It's just good, and it's good lessons for, like, any young athlete. I had my team watch it one year because just all, like, the professionalism, showing up every day, being consistent. Like, Jackie Gleason's character wasn't the best. Like, obviously, Paul Newman, the young gun, was better than him, but he wasn't better than him every day because he didn't show up every day. Sorry to interrupt. Was Jackie Minnesota Fats in that movie? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good old movie. Mm -hmm. You guys are dating me with these movie references. I'm stuck on King Bob's. Bob's a, Bob's a millennial. You're like the Justin I'm, Bieber of the. I'm a year younger than you. Fine. <laughs> so let's kick off today. My first question for the group is, and then obviously this is going to get more targeted and more specific as we go, but we talked, this has been a common thread on Twitter is old players versus today's players. Could this player hack it in today's game? you know, could Ted Williams hit Adam Adovino or like Andrew Miller's slider? Like, is this a relevant 
thing that we should actually be comparing players who grew up in different generations. Like Jeff, you grew up in, um, you're a player in the, in the nineties. So the way you grew up and you were trained was completely different than players growing up and training today. So I'll, I'll throw this up to Richard first. I mean, do you feel like it's valid to compare someone from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago to today's players? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by valid. I think you, in my case, I'm interested in the swing. Um, I can learn the swing from the old players and the new players. So in that regard, it's valid. Do I get involved in a lot of discussions about could Ted play today? Um, every now and then, um, my feeling is Ted, the 1950s Ted could not play today. But if Ted was born today, Ted would play today. Okay, so l- let me let me rephrase then. Jeff is a Judy, right? So absolutely. Why is that relevant in today's game? I mean, Jeff played for a decade in the big leagues at the highest level. You know, people are beating down the door to take his job, and he kept it. So why is it relevant? Uh, like, why is it relevant in today's game? Because you don't. Jeff's own quote: "He wouldn't be grafted today." But if Jeff was born, like say when I was born, I'm 34, he'd still be in his prime. Maybe he would hit 25 jacks like Jose Altuve. Like smaller players today do different things than smaller players of yesteryear. Ted would have, like, this, Ted would have the same swing in the 50s that he has if he was born today. Judy swing in the 90s would not play today. Jeff, what do you got? I mean, what evidence do we have to substantiate that? There is no evidence. That's just... I've, I've got a whole lot of it. There's nothing. Just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. Are you ready to see it? Huh? Are you ready to see it? Yeah, yeah. Show me. I'm ready. Just so much. You want to read? I can't really... Got so much respect for teachers as a text. Dude is going toe-to-toe with former big league studs, holding his ground, standing by his principles, and just confident. Um, it's gone. This is Miguel Cabrera. Getting bat speed behind his head. Judy pushing it forward. This is A-Rod. Bat speed behind his head. Judy pushing it forward. Big Mac, bat speed behind his head. Judy pushing it forward. Albert, bat speed behind his head. Judy pushing it forward. So for someone who's not a hitting guy. I'm not done, I'm not done. Littlest guy in the big leagues. Bat speed behind his head. Did he know what was coming right there? <laughs> Judy, Valid point. I didn't plus, know what was coming. Plus three. Plus three. Jose this was Ramirez. around the horns. Bat speed behind his head. Another little guy. Five nine. Judy pushing it forward. Rich, let me, Rich, let me cut you off for a second. Um, 
I want to backtrack before we before we get into the swing itself. Just uh, can you guys give us just a little bit about yourselves, like where you, where you are, who you came from, and then also I'll ask both of you guys, how did this, I guess, Twitter feud start between the two of you? Uh, Jeff, yeah, I know I know a lot of people watching are definitely going to know who both of you guys are, um, but just a little bit about yourself, um, your playing career, you know, your background, and then kind of how where you saw all this start, like just, I guess, the friction between you and you and Rich. Like how, how detailed do you want me to be on my background? Uh, just a little overview of who you are, where you came from, what you, you know, your playing career and everything. Okay. Uh, I was born in California um, to a single mother, uh, lived in an abusive um, household with my stepfather, moved out when I was a junior in high school, uh, moved in with my grandparents. We didn't have a car. So we basically walked everywhere we went. Um, when I was a junior in high school, we moved to Oklahoma to a town of 2,000 people with my aunt and uncle. We had 11 people living in a, a, a house with one bathroom. I uh, played football, basketball, and baseball in high school. I graduated at 5'5", 135 pounds with a basketball scholarship. Um, Realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to be my future, so I uh, had never lifted a weight. Started playing baseball exclusively, two years at junior college, two years at uh, NAIA school. Probably wouldn't have got drafted. I uh, After my senior year, I uh, was first-team All-American, hit 452, set the school record, um, and borrowed a teammate's invitation to a tryout camp for the Rangers. And uh, had a great day, ended up getting drafted in the 30th round, signed for two grand. Um, took me four years to get to the big leagues. I won the batting title my first year in short season. Hit 300 in double A. MVP of the All-Star game. Went to Venezuela. Won a batting title in Venezuela. Um, and made the big leagues in 92 my rookie year and played 15 years in total. And then you were a, and then you were a big leader for nine or 10 years. I can't remember. Actually, my, my uh, service time is nine years and 15 days. I missed, I missed two years, I missed two years uh, with ACL injuries. The first time is after I was Rangers Rookie of the Year. Um, I tore my ACL playing basketball that offseason. And then after I had my best year in the big leagues in 97 uh, with the Red Sox and signed a three-year contract, I tore my other ACL. Jeff, can I make a joke at your expense? Sure. W women tear their ACLs 10 times more than men do. <laughs> Sorry, I had to make a Judy joke. I, I, just, I just had to. Um, <laughs> they were both uh, One of them was a guy took me out playing basketball. And then uh, the other one was actually uh, in spring training. It was actually on uh, ESPN. We're doing first and third rundown drills. And uh, I was second base, so I was running toward the runner, uh, Darren Bragg, between home and third, and he cut the wrong way, and I, my knee just yeah. exploded. What years did you blow out your ACLs? Was that in the middle of your career or towards the end? 93 and 98. So the one in the beginning oh, and the one, one in the second half? 98 was like 
probably the prime of my career. I was a starting second baseman and leadoff hitter for the Red Sox. I mean, that's, that's a lot to come back from, especially back then. Like, it, re- reconstruction of anything wasn't nearly as, as sound as it is today. I mean, ACL was a lot better than, like, Tommy John. or I mean, obviously, guys were coming back then, but two of those a lot to come back from, and you're still playing. Well, it's, it's especially tough when you're supposed to be the guy, and the season that you're out, they sign Jose Offerman to a four-year contract who plays your position. Mm-hmm. That's why, at that point in my career, that's when I started playing – all over the field. Kind of bouncing around. And then, Rich, what's a little bit about your background, uh, you know, how you got into, you know, I guess baseball, Twitter in general. Um, I played Division Two baseball, a good catch-and-throw catcher, not a good hitter. Um, had a couple sons. They're growing up through Little League and high school. They're behind their age group in their hitting and this thing called the internet was new, and I started studying, started studying video, started duplicating video, which is critical. And in the process, I discovered something that I and my sons weren't doing, um, taught it to my youngest son, never hit a home run before in his life. The next summer, he hit seven. A minor league player who had been on the internet Searching, uh, saw that, asked me about it. I taught it to him. He had his two best years in the minor leagues, blah, blah, blah. He becomes an agent, leads me to some pros. I teach it to them. We have some success. Okay, so then, I mean, and why we're all here is the the hitting Twitter um, conflict, you know, I guess – what started separate kind of merged of what's now the Shigon movement and Rich, I would describe more of like a, like the snap it and like the high level pattern guys. Um, you know, Jeff, in your opinion, like when did this all start? When did the, I guess, I don't want to call it a feud, but when did, when did you and Rich first come in contact, you know, and, and uh, how did that all begin? I don't remember exactly when me and Rich did, um, I know I made a video uh, uh, goofing around in my backyard of something I saw on, um, like, I guess it was Twitter. and I didn't even really know who, who, at the time, who was the person that had posted that video. And it looked pretty odd to me. So I just kind of mockingly made a video. And uh, the backlash I got was, was pretty ugly. I mean, I got uh, direct messages from some guys um, I don't really want to name them. I don't think they deserve to be named, but uh, some really ugly stuff, man. Calling my, calling my kids names, um, you know, and just nonstop to the point where I just got tired of dealing with it. I just had to block them. But uh, because of that, that's, that would kind of inspired me to make a second video. And then the whole Shigon thing was just, I mean, 100% an accident. I just hit the ball and said, Shigon – and uh, my, bu- my buddy on Twitter, at not, not Guy Eddie, said, you need to hashtag that. So I started doing it. And now, you know, you know the rest. It's a movement. It's a movement. Um, and Rich, you've been a- attacking people in forums and on Twitter for a long time now, from what I've heard. Those Here baseball is- forums are getting, get ugly. They get Here's ugly, the beginning yeah. of it. 
Was that a pool? Is that a pool noodle? No, it's actually just a little piece of a, a an old tea I had sitting in the garage. Hmm. So I somehow this comes across my newsfeed, and I see Jeff do this, and I know it's coming from someone I've trained. And to be quite honest with you, at the end here, when Jeff says he had an aha moment or a light bulb went on, I thought he was supportive of the move. And my next comment was, actually the comment that started the feud was, Jeff, if you just do that toward the opposite field, you'll be perfect. And then he threw the first shot. It's documented. Mm. It's on Twitter. Mm. Don't let him change it. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll take credit for it. Thank you. I'm glad to know that. Okay. Well, let's, let's transition back to um, – so you're giving us some examples of guys who you say don't hit like Jeff. And I am personally just trying to understand the difference because it's hard to see, even though it's sort of slowish motion – uh, I don't really see the difference. So can you kind of take us through it and explain? Every hitter that, first of all, I studied the best hitters. I wasn't interested in anybody other than Manny Berry, Albert, Mike Trout, Adrian Gonzalez, David Ortiz, etc. cetera. Um, you can't find any one of those guys not get barrel speed instantly behind their head the instant they launch the bat. I call it from behind the corner. They're coiled. I'm not going to go into all the details of what a corner is, but they're coiled behind the corner, and when their bat is launched, it's launched into a rearward arc, downward, and then it comes up as it comes around the corner. Every single one. If you yeah. can't see it, I can't help you. It's real obvious in video. You want to see another one? Yeah, I do. Miggy's barrel launched downward behind him, and then it comes around the corner and goes up through the ball. Judy's barrel pushed forward straight down to the ball, down to and down through it. No barrel speed behind his head. Okay, I can see a little can bit of a difference. Can we straighten something out right now? You're a 64-year-old man. I have not called you names. I don't call you anything. My name is Jeff Fry, not Judy. You want me to call you the names that I think uh, um, my Shigon movement thinks of you? No, because I don't do that because I'm a man, and I'm respectful. So if you want to sit there and call me Judy this whole call, you can, Richard. I mean, I know you don't you don't mind stooping to that level, but you know, I have some pride too. You know, just be respectful. Not interested, sir. You threw the punch. You also have posted on Twitter that you're not interested in respecting us because you've been disrespected. It's on, man. If you don't like it, move along. Oh, I like it. Trust me, I like it. All right, Jeff. So obviously, at the end of the day, the biggest thing that matters is keeping your job, performing on the field, you know, and, and like, I think a lot of people don't appreciate how many, you know, at younger levels, like, everyone's trying to get promoted above, you know, they're trying to move up, they're trying to do better than their teammate, it, like minor league baseball is 
we all want to do well, we want to win, but I want to be a little better than you so I get promoted and you don't, right? But at the big league level, everyone in the world is coming for your job. And so you were, you had one of those coveted on the field positions for about a decade and people were coming for you and they never got there. So I guess my question just in, into the ether here is why does it matter? Like if Jeff Swing was different, why does it matter if he was a successful big leaguer and he was the guy for one of the 30 clubs? Jeff, I mean, where, where do you stand on that? The game was different in my era. I mean, you know, my job as a baseball player was to get on base, okay? My coaches told me not to hit the ball in the air. Was I supposed to just say, no, uh, how am I going to hit home runs if I don't hit the ball in the air? My specialty was a hit and run, okay? And hit and run, you're taught to hit the ball on the ground. That's your job. Hit the ball on the ground. I was so good at the hit and run that Kevin Kennedy allowed me to put on my own hit and run with base runners. I didn't need a sign from dugout. He had enough confidence in me to allow me to know the right situation to put on a hit and run in a game. And I did it in 1997 probably 30 times successfully. And all I did was have to put a ball, hit the ball on the ground with the, with the infielders moving and the base runner moving. And I would watch. I was, so, I was such a student of the game that I would watch before I came up to the plate which middle infielder was covering second base on certain hitters. If, a, if Darren Lewis, who was a hitter who hit the ball on the ground like I did, if he was hitting and I had a runner on first, I wanted to see who was covering second base. So I would know if I should try and pull the ball or hit the ball to right field. And so where did you learn that level of, of barrel, barrel control? Yes, I mean, and, you know, I had to get on top of the ball. I wasn't trying to hit home runs. In batting practice, I could hit some home runs, but that wasn't my job. You know, back in those days, you had three or four guys on your team who were your run producers. The rest of the guys had their roles. The leadoff guys got on base. Otis Nixon and I would bunt, get on base, hit and run. And then the guys, Will Clark, Pudge Rodriguez, uh, Rusty Greer, Juan Gonzalez, those guys' job was to drive us in. That was my role. So to say that I didn't hit home runs, I wasn't good, I mean, that's asinine. Guys in my era, my size, didn't hit home runs. Okay, the balls didn't fly out of the ballparks like they do today. I can assure you that. All you had to do is look at the numbers in AAA last year when they used the big league ball and had a 54% increase in home runs in one season. Yeah, I think that's a good point with the, with the ball, like just the ball itself and what's valued um, with the swing. Like some back in, back, I, don't, I don't want to date you, back in the 90s, or, you know, pre-1998, uh, I guess, when the home run, when the home runs just boomed, it was a little more strategic. Play a little small ball, move runners. Guys kind of had their set positions in the lineup, like the one, two, eight, nine guys were essentially your leadoff guys and you had your middle of the lineup, uh, whatever. And nowadays, guys that Rich works with, and Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, the value of the guys, some of the pro guys that you might work with is in driving the baseball regardless of size, position, like it's all about driving the ball, slugging percentage, producing runs. Rich? Um, I just wish you would keep Judy on point. He attacked what I teach 
in 2017, 18, 19, 20. I teach what works in today's game, and he's attacking what I teach. I don't care what he did in the 1990s. The reason he keeps changing the subject back to when he played is to get off the subject. The subject is what I teach. I can document with video what he did is not what they do today. And yet he wants today's players taught what he did. If he doesn't like the game, that's perfectly fine, but it is the game. In his own words, he told someone they interviewed with that he wouldn't be drafted today. Absolutely not. Okay. Well, you never got drafted. See him change the subject right there? He can't deal with the fact that what I teach is accurate, right, it's proven at all levels, proven at all games, and it really irritates him. He will not stay on point. I answered uh, Dan's question. Sorry, Dan, an will you answer, ask me a question to make sure I stay on the right point for Richie? Well, so, Jeff, okay, so today's game, do you feel like the game has changed since you played? And if so, what are the main ways? And how would you counsel a player who is coming up in, you know, so you got a 15-year-old today. Seeing that baseball is different, what do you feel like young players should be learning when they're young? I think young players should be learning the basic fundamentals to have fun. Okay, I don't think we should be teaching 12-year-olds uh, a high-level pattern swing so that they can hit like the greatest hitters of all time in our, our game. Everybody's different. And major leaguers are special athletes. They are exceptional. Okay? And we're going to teach everybody to hit the same way. Why not just let these kids go have fun? I mean, what are the odds um, that any of these kids are going to have a chance to play in the big leagues? I mean, there's just so few players that ever even get that opportunity to play in the big leagues. Let these kids have fun. It's very clear that there is one swing pattern that is better than all the others. Jeff can sit there and talk about major league hitters from different, each major leaguer might swing different than the other. Well, I'll tell you, the, all the best major leaguers swing the same. I don't care if it's Albert or Manny or Barry or Ted or Mike. They have the elements in their swing that I teach. So, question, Rich. Um, is like there really? You've got six vehicles out there. All of them have a V8 engine in them. One's a, one's a GM product. One's a Ford. One's a Mercury, one's a Pontiac. They all look different, don't they? But they all have the same V8 engine. And that's what they don't understand. All these great hitters have a launch quickness level that comes from the way they load their body and the way they snap their barrel. It's, it's indisputable, yet he wants to dispute it. Well, Rich, so you've talked about Barry Bonds' swing, and I'll get back to, to Jeff in a, in a second. You've talked about Barry Bonds' swing as being like the archetype, the one everyone should be aspiring to and the one that you studied the most. Uh, if you gave Barry Bonds' swing to a 250 hitter, is he Barry Bonds or is he, Barry, or is he that 250 hitter and now it's 262? Barry Bonds' swing has the same engine that David Ortiz's swing has, the same engine that... Jose Altuve has, the same engine that Jose Ramirez has, the same engine that anybody that's really productive in the big leagues has. 
if I'm going to give it to a smaller guy, teach it to a smaller guy, the bigger guy will surely hit more home runs than the smaller guy. Duh. However, what is, what is the result of what I teach is launch quickness. Instant barrel speed behind your head. That means because you're instant, you can let the ball travel closer to you before you have to make a commitment. There's nothing better a hitting instructor can give a, a hitter than more time. And because he has more time, he's going to hit more barrels. It's all about barreling the baseball. I don't care where the ball goes. I don't care if it's a rocket right through the pitcher's head. I don't care if it's a home run. I don't care if it's in the six hole. The fun of the game is barreling the baseball. So how many, how many current major leaguers don't have that kind of swing? The vast majority of them. But yet they're still in the big leagues, and many of them probably – yeah, Jeff, jump in there. Uh, doesn't hand-eye coordination have something to do with being a good hitter and, and not just barrel quickness? I've seen a lot of guys had tremendous bat speed in the minor leagues. They couldn't hit with shit. Okay? It's a certain knack guys develop of getting the barrel to the ball that you don't teach with some and you don't think that, you don't think that requires alright go ahead Rich you, you don't think getting the barrel to the ball requires some quickness against 100 miles an hour get serious up here on the screen is characteristics or elements of a good hitter there's several of them just because you have the swing I teach doesn't mean you're going to succeed but you will be your best if you have the swing I teach. Sure. Okay, so. Richard, and that's what we should all believe. Just because you declare it to be true uh, in 2020, I guess you can do that in, in America. Now you used to declare something and it's a fact. With are you, no going, to, are you no, going to ignore no. the video? Are you going to continue to ignore the video? I'm sick of your video. Over Everybody and over and over and over, over, and over, and over you ignore the video of the best hitters so you can make your point. You're being a no, fool. You're being video. made a fool. It's, you're look like, if you saw what you look like right now with all your videos behind you, you look like a fool. You're yeah. a grown man. You look like a man. We know who the fool is. Yeah, you're sure right. We sure do. Well, Jeff, so let's get back to – so The big leaguer or the pool hall owner? Look at Richie and all his fancy stuff. So cool. Um, so, uh, Jeff, what would you be advising young players today to do? So, obviously, you don't want to – you don't advocate for one swing. Um, what should they be learning? Like, obviously, there's no one way to hit for everyone. Like, everyone, I think, agrees on that point. But, like Richard says, and this was something that I taught with pitching, is like, hey – like I would send kids through their mechanics. I'd say, Hey, here's like, you're going to look different, but everyone does this. Everyone does this. Everyone's generally in this position. Like there's all those big checkpoints, right? So given that everyone agrees that not every hitter hits the same way, what, what's like the develop, develop, the developmental path for a young player? Because yeah, like confidence is great. Having fun is great. All that stuff is great, but that's not actually teaching them. Like what would you actually be trying to teach young players? I mean, how, what age are we talking about here? Just say like, like at 12. I mean, we're trying to get them a foundation to eventually be good high school players and then succeed and then eventually be good college players and then succeed and then maybe be good pro players. Yeah, I don't think you get a certain pattern of swing at all. 
I'm never believe that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry I didn't prepare my video project, but uh, there's a lot of great hitters that uh, he hasn't shown in his videos that didn't have swings like that. Here's really some made. of your video projects. Really made. I mean, can we get can we rein him in a little bit so he's not interrupting? Like a grown up. Go ahead, Jeff. I mean, was Willie Mays' swing and Willie McCovey's swing and uh, Mike Piazza's swing and Cal Ripken's swing, were all their swings look the same? No, they're all different, and they're all great players. You know, Hall of Famers. They all hit different. And there's not one way to do this. That's, what, that's what's so funny about all this is that these guys are trying to say, you have to do this or you won't be good, and that's a bunch of garbage because all we have to do is look back to the history of the game and nobody hits the same. Okay. Would you teach Hunter Pence's swing to anybody? He had a pretty good damn career having the goofiest looking swing I've probably ever seen. Dude just gets the barrel to the ball is one of the, uh, the best, you know, most revered players in the game for being a great teammate. And, you know, he doesn't have a high level pattern. Silence, silence, silence that. I don't know how. You don't know how to silence your phone? My computer. Oh. Mm. Yesterday I downloaded some new software. <laughs> and now my phone. So, so I'll, I'll, ju I'll jump in just for a second because uh, that seems to be the that seems to be the fuzzy line in all of, in in hitting in general is the line of you know what personal what you do personally that makes you successful. And blending that with what maybe Bonds or Manny Rivera, what what makes the really really top hitters what they are today, you know, Rich, how do you, where do you see that like overlap and that blend of of like personal style with someone like Nolan Arenado or Chris Bryant who look just different when they swing compared to someone like Bonds and and Mike Trout. You know, there's everyone's got a little bit of different setup. I think that's what's the the difference in baseball. It doesn't just look like shooting a free throw in basketball where 99% of the guys look exactly the same. The stances are different. Just the the way they move the body, pre-pitch and everything is different um, stylistically. So where is that overlap? Like, where's that line um, for you, Rich? I believe I already said it. They all have deep barrel speed behind their head. You can do that from a wide stance, a narrow stance, long arms, short arms, bent over, upright. Um, the video will show the barrel path with speed behind their head. And Jeff, where, where do you see a, a point of coaching becoming overkill where like a guy's going well, but maybe you see, maybe you or the kidding coach sees something that Long-term, he knows this probably isn't going to work for this guy. Do you, do you let him ride it out? Do you let him stylistically, like, stay the same? Would you prefer somebody say something to you in your own playing career? You know, I, I think it's such an individualized thing that, uh, you know, I always believed in the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if you got guys who are having success and maybe it doesn't look like their swing will, uh, you know, will work uh, when they get to the higher level. I think you just have to let them fail and then maybe make changes. It's kind of hard to get somebody to buy in to making changes if they're not failing. Yeah. 
All right, I'm going to jump in with, there's a couple people here on, on Periscope. Um, one guy asks, are, are you guys talking about the same thing, meaning, you know, approach and mental side versus where Rich is, that's Jeff, where Rich is talking about. Yeah, and, um, I, and I can kind of answer that, which I think is, I think there is a difference, right? Like Jeff, I guess we're trying to figure out if you have like an alternative hitting mechanics to Rich's, because it sounds like your big thing is like more the mental side of the game, not teaching anything one specific way, all the peripherals and the and the mental strategic, the baseball IQ stuff that really makes a player. And I get your, I think your central point is that Willie McCovey maybe didn't have the best swing, but he was still an incredible ball player. Right. And there's lots of players who are probably examples of that. And you're probably one of them as well. Even if Rich is pointing out that your swing maybe wasn't optimal, which is neither here nor there, you still maintained the highest level of play for a long time. So is, am I kind of summarizing like your central point, Jeff, that there's not one way to do it? but yes. that maybe you don't have a specific way that you would prefer young players to do it? No, I mean, I know that Rich, you know, totally disagrees, but I was always taught to swing down through the ball, finish high. I mean. And do you, you still know, believe that? I do believe that. And his number one, I mean, it worked for me in my career. The type of player that I was, that's the swing that I needed. And I made it work for me. And I hit over 300 in the big leagues three times. Hit 290 for my career. Um, I don't know what percentile of, of all the players played in the big leagues that is, but I'm so sorry. I don't know what is wrong. Are you on a Mac? Um, yes. Uh, Please tell me how to turn it off. If you go to settings, if you go to settings, the little gear cog at the bottom, and then you go to notifications, and then I think that should be your FaceTime, the FaceTime app. You probably just need to toggle notifications off. Um, well, Rich, let's let's go back to you while Jeff's getting settled. Um, so, but how Jeff do you account? Hit a point. I mean, Jeff hit a point about swinging down, and I've seen video of Bonds also describing his what he's feeling as going down to the ball, like staying on top of the baseball. Um, and I follow Rich for a long time, and I, Rich, correct me if I'm wrong. You also discuss like the barrel goes down to the baseball just maybe not in the same way that it's being demonstrated or spoken about. Um, I see the video on your back screen. Is this a, is this a little demonstration of that? They all swing down. I swing down. I teach to swing down. The barrel clearly goes down, but does it stay down as it goes through the ball? It does not stay down as it goes through the ball with great hitters. Jeff can't even begin to – explain what I teach, but he to, criticizes but, it. Yeah. He wouldn't want to, he just said. He's the guy he, you're using the whole movement on Twitter to criticize what I now. teach, and he has no idea what I teach. There's a whole new definition of dumb jock. Yeah. Good, Rich. So the guy you use as an example says he swings down on the ball. He teaches – Christian Yellow should swing down on the ball. And yet is he swinging down in this video? He doesn't do it. Is I he mean, swinging down in this video? He says he does. How do is you know? He? Are you saying he, he swings down? It's straight, you're like a comedy routine. I think this is the, this is the disconnect. How right about this one right here? How about this one right here? Pay attention uh, to it. 
Barry's doing that. Jeff's doing that. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Gonna surprise. Going to be a surprise. Uh-oh. Which one of us is doing what Barry Bonds is doing? Yeah, the big leaguer or we're the both, football? We're both swinging down. We're both swinging down. All three of us are swinging down. One of us has a chance to hit. Yeah. It's not the pool hall owner, I promise you that. So let's go back to how the game's changing. So, so Jeff, obviously, like, the game has changed a good amount. So does that need to – do young players need to adjust what they're learning at younger ages? Because – You've talked a lot about what you were good at, and I don't think anyone disputes that you're a heck of a player. But say you were growing up today and you had coaches telling you different stuff. I know you said you were coachable and coaches said, hey, swing down the ball. This is the kind of player you are. This is, the, this is what players like you do in the big leagues. They get on base. They do all the little things. They scrap. You know, all of that. That makes sense. Um, in today's game, it's clearly different. You know, you go to a game. This is funny. I went to some games in the fall, and, like, they don't hit ground balls it's weird. Like they strike out, they fly out, they hit a dinger. It's a very different game. It's, it's just become clear. So, um, how do you feel like players need to adjust for this? Um, cause I don't, I mean, would you advise players to, to, to play the way you played 20 years ago? I just go I mean, tell you're, you're an, I mean, you're an agent, right? To play the way that they played that got them to that level. You know, obviously they're doing something right. It's not just – I think that's the biggest disconnect in all this is now that baseball has been infiltrated by sabermetricians uh, and now and we have to completely change everything the way it's played, okay? And yet the Washington Nationals won the World Series last year um, with old-school scouting and, and, and playing the game. The game – that's presented to you in each situation and not going up there and swinging for the fences. And uh, nobody wants to bring that up. You know, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, who won them before the Astros. We know what happened with that deal. Um, you know, Altuve was one of my favorite players before this, you know, the fact that these guys knew what was coming before the pitch was thrown. How can we validate any of their statistics they put up? I mean, that's just such an advantage. You know, I've actually seen, heard pitchers say that, or saw the question, would you rather face a hitter on steroids or a hitter that knows what's coming? And the ones who said they'd rather face one that knows what's coming, I couldn't believe that. That's, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's well, insane. That's insanity. Okay, and, and, and I know the type of hitter I was. I was a line drive ground ball hitter. I was 160 pounds. When I came up, it was tough for me to hit a home run in batting practice because the balls just didn't travel like they do now. So I was, I was taught to be that type of player, and I made a career out of it. Okay? I played in the middle of the steroid era, did not use steroids, and was still able to play in the big leagues for almost 10 years. So when a pool hall owner um, says that I was no good, um, it really just doesn't have much – I mean, it just doesn't fly very well. I've never well, said you were no good. I said your swing sucked, and it did. Well, and I think, Jeff, I mean, it's, it's obviously – like, you're obviously an extremely good player. I think, I think the main disconnect here is that Jeff thinks your swing wouldn't play and that shouldn't be taught today, and that you disagree with what he teaches. I think that's the main disconnect. 
Because besides that, the stuff that you're talking about is, is, is baseball IQ. Well, in fairness, Rich, your stuff is confusing. Really? Like I've, yeah, absolutely. Um, you don't do a good job explaining it. You say, look, really? and, if, and if I say, hey, I don't maybe, see it, you pick I don't up a see it. Maybe you try to swing, you'll be able to feel, feel something out. But that's not really a good, really? in my own defense. You my own def- in, in stare my- at the video and make claims you don't want to really understand? I don't have a bat to swing. I'm sitting here talking to you and asking you, hey, can you explain a little bit more? And you say, if you don't see it, I can't help you. That's not really how coaches do that typically. I said, if you don't pick up a bat, I can't help you. No, that's not what you said earlier. You're staring at a video trying to learn. The combination of the video and the swinging of the bat to match the video is where you learn. You'll feel it in 15 minutes if we're in person together. You're not very likely at all to feel it when you're just staring at a video. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, I, I do. Li- I mean, I do like the the flaw, especially with someone who works with kids. Like, I'm not going to bring my son to someone who doesn't swing the bat, which is why a lot of guys seek out former players to teach their kids who maybe if they don't have a background in baseball. I guess the the overarching question is how do you decipher what maybe Barry Bonds said and what he did? Because obviously, if Barry Bonds is talking hitting, he's going to be the He's going to be the smartest guy in the room talking about hitting. He's, for my money, the best hitter of all time at just watching him play. But maybe what he says about hitting isn't literally what he did. So how, how do you navigate that as someone, if you're trying to teach your kid or if you're a player who's, let's say you're 17 years old, you're a good, you're a good athlete, you're a good player, and you're listening to Barry Bonds talk, how do you decipher what he's, what he's saying as maybe not necessarily literal to what he's doing? Where do you, you know, how do you explain, I guess this is a question for both of you guys, you know, where's the line of, you know, are you taking it literally what they're saying? Are you absorbing it and taking it piece by piece and trying? Uh, Rich, you know, where do you fall on that with what, what guys say versus, you know, what they do on video that you perceive? Right here. I don't have a side by side of Barry, but I do have of Albert on the right there. He's swinging off a tee, swinging straight down and going straight down through the ball. His barrel goes down, it stays down. His words are the same for both swings. In the game, his barrel starts down but goes up. So the difference, and you'll, you know, if you'll swing a bat and try to learn, is that he's two-legged in his practice swings and he's one-legged in his game swing. And when you swing down from one leg, from one weighted leg, the barrel will turn up as it goes through the ball. If you swing down from a, a heavily weighted front leg, like Albert does on the right there, it'll stay down through the ball. When I was doing my study, I was puzzled by their words compared to their video. Clearly, their barrel was going up through the ball. They were driving the baseball. And yet their words were, I swing down. So I gave up on their words, and I started paying attention to their video. And in the process of trying to duplicate their video, I realized that I am accelerating my barrel downward also. But it's behind my head. It's instant. It's sudden. It's behind my head. And as my body turns the corner, the barrel goes up. So Jeff, what, what about you as far as you've, – you've had a lot of coaches, a lot of hitting coaches um, coming up through the professional baseball I'm sure some of the stuff that they told you didn't click or didn't resonate. How do you, how did you sift through and find what worked for you and 
you know, what was literal and what was maybe just a thought process to get you back into a good spot? It was a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, when I got to double A, um, it was tough for me. The first couple of months of double A, I realized that I wasn't strong enough um, to drive the ball through the gaps. I mean, at that time, I weighed about 155 pounds in Tulsa, 100 degrees. So I was weak and um, I was just not hitting the ball. I was hit, I could hit the ball hard. It just wasn't traveling very far. So uh, just by accident, um, one day I was experimenting with a leg kick in a hotel room or in a hotel lobby area playing a wiffle ball. In my one-legged? The big boys are talking, Rich. Just can you pipe down? I gave you your time. Um, and then so I developed a leg kick and brought it into the, uh, the game the next day. And from that point on, I ended up leading uh, double-A, the Tulsa Drillers, in 10 offensive categories, hit over 300. And then the next year I spent three months in triple-A, hit 300, and was in the big leagues. Something that you don't know about, Richard. Being a big leaguer. That's not the issue. Oh, it is the issue. Oh, no, that's what it you is. need to make the issue. The issue no, that is the issue. criticizing what I teach, and you have no idea what you're criticizing. Because I don't care the what you is, is. I have helped several people get to the big leagues with this swing. Yeah. yeah. I've been, they have acknowledged that, okay? Yeah. Girl, the now, issue isn't where you played and where I played. The issue is who can teach, and yeah. you refuse to stay on point. You know, distracting all your videos in the background. I think you you two just unbeknowingly agreed with each other. And I've I've said this, I've tweeted this out before. You know, I know what Rich teaches and it's it's in the rear leg. It's more, you know, one one weighted leg. And Jeff, from what hearing you talk about what happened in double A, it sounds like you in your own way figured figured that out that to get into your back leg would give you a little bit more of an advantage. It would it help you improve. So in a weird way, I feel like you two kind of overlap in what you do think works for hitters as far as mechanically. I think, Jeff, that's uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, but that was kind of what you said in double-A. It's got more into your back leg to get a little more, little more power, uh, a little more leverage on the ball. Yeah, I mean, I did put a little bit more weight on my back leg because I was more upright. And if you're if you don't have your your weight at least in the middle of your body or a little back, and you raise your your front leg up, you're going to go forward, right? So I would basically pick my leg up and put it back down and hit against a, a, a stiff front leg, and that gave me more ability to drive the ball better. Rich, does that sound like like if if Jeff was a younger player explaining that to you, like he's like he's a little bit close to what you would want him to do as far as uh, where his weight's at and kind of where he would get into position to hit? As far as the weight back, yes. But when he said as soon as you pick up your weight, you go forward, that's only when you don't know what you're doing. Okay, so – You didn't understand what I was talking about. I said yeah, if your weight is in the middle of your body and you lift your front leg, you are automatically going to go forward. That's why I would put a little bit more weight on my back leg so I could pick up my front leg and put it straight back down without going for it. That's what I said. I can put my weight in the middle of my body and not go forward because I do the proper thing with my back. 
And what is, can you explain more about that? When a hitter coils his butt around his leg and pulls back with his back muscles and turns the entire swing over to his posterior side, to his back instead of his chest, as you go forward and approach 50-50, and even if you land 50-50, what looks 50-50, your weight is still back because of what's happening with your back. Jeff, what did you try and feel with your weight as far as hitting? Um, I always was taught, you know, see a curveball, you need to weight back on it, weight back, weight back. You know, did you ever actively try and get to your front side? Were you always trying to figure out how to stay back? You know, where were you at with your weight when you were a hitter? Yeah, I always tried to stay back, but you know, I was always I was always looking for a fastball. So occasionally, if I was looking too much fastball and a guy threw me a you know seventy five mile an hour curveball, my weight would go forward a little bit. But the key was for me, to, as long as I kept my hands back, I still had a chance. Now, once your hands start going forward, then you you have no chance. So I would just you know I always tried to stay back, but you know it's it's a lot uh, tougher than uh, than just watching it on a video and then do it like this when you're actually in a game, in a game situation, facing a pitcher who's not throwing it down the middle, you know, and the ball's moving all over the place. So, Especially yeah, when you're swinging with your chest. What do you – can you uh, explain what that means, Rich? Swing with your chest? Yeah. Judy was a pusher. He was swinging, pushing his arms – swinging with the front side of his body, pushing with his chest. The great hitters swing with their back. Their back muscles pull, turn their body. And when your back is engaged, you, you don't get me wrong, you're not perfect every time. The pitching is good. But when your back is engaged, you have a tool, a technique that allows you to stay back on all pitches. Yeah, I, I heard uh, – I have references before, but – one of my old hitting coaches talks about um, being in the cage with Michael Young and Michael Young, this is the year he won the batting title and he was hitting like 190 a month in and just in the cage, kind of working on a process, working on the process, whatever, he, whatever mentally he was working on. But his quote was that he only gets his best swing off 25% of the time. So he needs to be ready to, to just try and barrel baseballs. And that was kind of, that was why he always swung at everything in batting practice. Did you play with Michael Young, Jeff? I don't know if he was a little after you were. Uh, no, I actually played against him my okay. last year. He got traded from Toronto to Texas. Uh, so I thought it was just interesting that he, that he explained it. You know, I'm only going to get my best swing off 25% of the time. I need to be adjustable and, and ready to uh, kind of – feel what it's like to get off at least a good swing when my body doesn't feel in a perfect position. Yeah. I mean, Michael Young was a great player too. And if you look at his swings, uh, he didn't do anything like what Rich taught. He could barely pull the ball, hit the ball. He got an arm barred uh, and hit the ball. Couldn't really pull the ball that well, hit it to right field. Most of the time had, you know, won a batting title, had a great career, um, so, I mean, that's the key is there's not one way to do this, folks. And I know I pushed my way and judied my way to a 290 career batting average in almost 10 years in the big leagues. Now, that's not the issue. The issue is you're criticizing what I teach today. I don't care what you did, Jeff. Your criticism of what I teach today is totally out of line, especially with all the success it's had. 
and all you're trying to do is defend your ego against a vast amount of video that proves you really don't know what today's swing is about. Yeah, I have the ego, Rich. That's a good one. Well, Rich, I'd like to I'd like to get your comment on something you said in our previous podcast, which was uh, you mentioned early on that basically no one's been teaching the swing correctly. That's for uh, maybe the, in, the entire history of baseball. Do you remember saying that? I probably do. Yeah. How can so can you elaborate on that? Um, first of all, I haven't been everywhere, but I've never seen anybody post video or make statements um, that teaches what Manny and Barry and Albert and Mike and Ted and Mickey do. Bob, where are you falling that? Sorry, I got cut, I got cut out. Um, I mean, I had – in the minor leagues, I never had maybe more than a handful of conversations about mechanics. When we were around the, when we were around the turtle, the cage – are in the cage in spring training, it was always, you know, we're kind of talking about what we're trying to do with the ball. And most of the coaches um, were kind of let you be yourself, you know, whatever you thought worked for you, um, which I appreciate. But the best, uh, the best hitting coach I had in the minor leagues, his name was Milt May. We talked about him previously and he's an older guy. I mean, he was a coach when Ted Williams played and the best advice he gave me was all approach. And, you know, I, looking back on my swing and, and I've met Rich and I've hit with Rich and Rich helped something click in my swing. And I was already done playing. So I was just swinging just to swing, you know, screwed around. But if I had felt or did that when I had played, I felt, I feel like I would have more success based on the approach I had. When I was a player, I mean, I never hit more than nine home runs in a, in a minor league season. I was a speed guy. I was more, much more similar to Jeff than I was to uh, Barry Bonds. So for me, it was, you know, I'm trying to get the most out of my swing. And I was a strong guy, so it wasn't like I, was, I couldn't put the ball out of the park, but I wasn't getting what I felt like was the power my body should have been producing. Um, so I took a few swings when I was with Rich, and I felt better. I felt like I had a better swing, and something clicked. And maybe it was – something Rich said mechanically, or maybe it was just me swinging on my own and figuring it out. But, you know, we never did that. We never talked swing mechanics in the minor leagues. And I don't know, maybe it needs to be taught more, maybe it needs to be taught less, but I feel like once you get to that level of approach, Well, if they never taught it, they can't teach any less, but. Well, I would say, but they, but uh, it was always approach like a hitting, I guess that's the disconnect, right? Like is a hitting coach, uh, is he, a mechanics coach or is he like a mental coach and an approach coach? Because it's, it's different at different levels. And I work with a lot of youth guys now and I, I kind of have to be both, but I know when I go to the pro stadium and I help out with the pro team in Chicago, it's, it's not mechanics. It's really, what are you seeing up there? How are they attacking you? How do you counteract that? And how do we go from there? So it's, it's different at all levels. So Rich, I have a question. I want to transition people in the, in the YouTube chat. And for all of you out there, thank you for, there's a ton of discussion in YouTube and, and Periscope. And uh, for those of you who have picked at me, I'm not on my phone. I'm going through these. So if you don't like me going through your comments, then you can stop commenting. Um, Rich, people want to clarify, are you advocating that your swing is to give everyone power or is you're just the most biomechanically efficient swing? So a guy like Ichiro who didn't really hit for power, um, 
you know, can he still be relevant in today's game? Are you advocating for everyone should hit for power or everyone should just have a biomechanically optimal swing? I've already answered that, but I'll answer it again. First of all, Ichiro did what I teach. I teach launch quickness. Launch quickness, not power. Aaron Judge claims that I gave him power, and I've told him several times, I've never given you power, Aaron. The reason you had 52 home runs after you worked with me is because I gave you quickness, and you were able to, therefore, hit the ball. Um, Launch quickness is what I teach. I, take, I say it every time I get a new student. I say it every time I have a clinic. If you can decrease the time between your decision to swing and the launch of your swing, you will be a better hitter because you will be able to read the pitch longer and you will hit more barrels. I don't care where the ball goes. I want you to barrel it. But how do we quantify that quickness? I mean, so Aaron Judge was not slow. He was slower, perhaps. But again, like when I asked earlier, if you give Barry Bonds a swing to a 250 hitter, how much better does that make him? Because Barry Bonds was special. Barry Bonds was special, I would say, not because of his swing, because of Barry Bonds. I mean, his plate discipline and everything about Barry Bonds was better than everyone else. If you gave him someone else's swing, he's still Barry Bonds. To discount his swing really, really raises a red flag. He is a good athlete. He has all the elements that it takes to be a good hitter. Every element necessary, he had it. Without his swing, he's not the same hitter. What kind of hitter is he if he has a lesser swing? Say he has a major league average swing. What kind of hitter hitter hitter. is he? How am I supposed to predict that? What swing does he have? Well, you make claims that are really strong, like that Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer because of his swing, and I don't think that's true. Really? He's got the the most efficient swing that ever swung the bat. Hands down. Yeah, but, yeah, but big league, but big league swings. you're asking me what he would be without it. What swing would he have without it? I don't know. Would he be a Judy? Would he be just a good athlete with a, a, an everyday swing? How am I supposed to predict what he would be without the swing when I don't know what swing he has? But it sounds like you're making the claim that his swing was a large part of how successful he was, and I would disagree Absolutely with that. Absolutely the most efficient swing ever. I don't but, understand how you can even argue that. I mean, because there are a lot of the because there are loaded, there are a lot of very powerful swings in the minor leagues that don't that aren't good hitters. Come on, Jeff. What do you feel about Bonds' swing? Proved he's the best swing ever. But hitters aren't swings, and hitters aren't robots. I didn't say the swing is everything. So that's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to say, give me some had, kind of idea of how important the swing he had is. He athleticism. He had reflexes he has fast twitch he has great vision he's got a strong mental makeup he also had a great swing okay so out of those 11 qualities is the swing one 11th of it is it nine percent of what how good you are as a hitter because jeff hit 290 in the big leagues with what you say is a bad swing so that's right clearly so the swings he several, wasn't he had several of the qualities but he didn't have the swing to be the best he could be barry okay. had all the qualities and had the swing to be the best he could be Okay, but to be I mean, the best you're, he could you're be. probably the first one I've ever heard kind of question whether Barry Bonds' swing was, was the best ever. I'm not questioning if his swing was the best ever. My question is, if you take away Barry Bonds' swing or you make it a little less efficient, is he really, not, is he really that much worse? He's quite a bit worse. You're saying like hits 300 instead of 370? He hits 40 home runs instead of 70? Which swing is he going to have? Is he going to have Judy swing? He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. 
Jeff, how do you feel about uh, Bonds' swing? In general? I mean, you played in an era with Bonds. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> nobody watched the, the other guys. Nobody cared about the other guy's swing. They cared how, how hard they hit the ball, the results they got. And to me, the prettiest swing I ever saw was Ken Griffey Jr. I think he had the prettiest swing ever. Maybe it wasn't as efficient, but it sure was fun to watch this dude walk out and, you know, not even stretch and just get in the cage and just start launching balls out of the park. And, you know, it was – I mean, there's just so many different swings. Look at – I mean, it's just insane to say that you have to swing a certain way, Richard. You can't prove that. Guys have been in the big leagues. Almost 20,000 guys have played in the big leagues with 20,000 different swings. So how can you say you need one swing to be good? Jeff, if, you, if you had the courage to come swing with me, Jeff, in 15 minutes, you'd know you're a fool. The courage? Yeah, the courage to come swing with me. Within 15 minutes, you would feel something you've never felt before, and you would not be able to make the claims you just made. Promise you. I retired. I'll pay you. I've offered to pay your way up here, Jeff, and you won't come. I don't come. like you. I mean, you're not, a, you're not a nice person. You're kind of annoying. I don't know why I would want to go spend. Yeah, I'm not trying to win the personality contest, Jeff. I'm going to prove that your statements on Twitter about what I teach are false, uninformed, and you're playing the role of a dumb jock. I play golf now and catch fish. Very good. Then stick with golf. Stick yeah. with something you know. Three handicap. So Stick with something you know. I could probably whoop your ass in pool, too, if I tried. So Jeff, what what is the so I've on your Twitter feed you've talked a little bit about um, your disdain for some of the new stats. I know a lot of the game has changed. So what are some of the positive changes you've seen in the game as far as stats wise, and how should players be evaluated? Man, I don't know. There's I'm not don't think a lot of the stats are. I can't really name any stats that I feel are positive. You know the the war. You know, how we came up with this stat to determine how one player helps his team win more games than another guy. I don't really understand that. You know, if, if, if I'm playing in a game and it's the ninth inning and I'm a runner on second, no outs, and I hit a ground ball to the right side to move a runner over to third, and the next guy hits a ground ball to get him in, did he help the team more than I did? We both did our job. I mean, that's a good point. It's tough to quantify like new age. There's a lot of new age baseball stats that are quantifying things that managers have been quantifying by with their eyes for generations, right? Like there's, there's a reason managers stump for guys to be on the team because this, this guy player a helps me win. Well, the stats say player B. Yeah. Well, player B in my locker room isn't helping me win. Like player A is, I don't care what your stats are. So I don't know if that's the gut feeling managers talk about, like they have a hunch, but it, baseball is definitely being taken out of the hands of the guys on the field and being put up in the front office. Um, and I think you both are on the same page with that as far as it's not the metrics of the exit velocity and the, the force plate, whatever the hell that thing is that the kids stand on and teach. Um, uh, I know I know that doesn't make a hitter. I know both of you actually don't believe that that makes a hitter uh, what he is. It's just it's hard to it's hard in today's game where it's like a three outcome hitter, home run, strikeout or walk to 
to go back to the 90s and, and value those guys like Jeff that are moving runners over because those kids aren't being taught that. They're not being taught that the what what the strategy of baseball was and and helps you be successful. Well, the Red Sox, the Red Sox um, before spring training was interrupted this year, they weren't even having their hitters practice bunting. They weren't even practicing anymore. That's the first thing we always did, practice bunting. I mean, it's not that hard to be a good bunter. You just have to work at it. And um, now to me, it's a shame that what the game has turned into um, because it's kind of boring to me. It's just not a lot of strategy. I mean, and, you know, I never said I was a great player. I, I've never once. And my friends know that I don't have an ego. I mean, I am just a normal dude. I treat everybody with respect. Whoa. Uh, um, who deserve respect. Um, I'll respect you until you show me you don't deserve it. And then I won't. And then, so it's, uh, you know, I'm getting off topic here. Richard's kind of distracting, but. Um, well, well, Jeff, what, um, what stats, I mean, what are you doing, I guess, to, to start to learn about some of this new stuff in baseball? Because the game is changing a lot and it's, it's tough to keep up with, but all the stats. So like, I'll push back a little bit, like some of these stats. So Keith Law had a really good book. It's called smart baseball. I read it a couple of years ago and it starts to just like help everyone get into some of these new stats and understand why they're important and why, but the, the book is really balanced in the sense that Keith Law explains, look, you can't just throw wins out the window because look, a lot of guys for a hundred years of baseball, that was an important thing that like they hung their hat on their 21 season. And to say like their 21 season didn't matter or for a guy like you, like batting average doesn't matter. It's insulting and it doesn't really pay homage to the, the game as it's evolved because back then that's what the stats were, right? Like 20 wins in a season. It was still, it still is a, a milestone, even though we know that pitchers can't control whether they get a win or not, right? We can't control whether they get an RBI or not, you know, over time, you're going to be placed in like, you might be placed in a hundred less RBI situations in a season than someone who hits in the four hole, right. As like a leadoff guy. Yeah. So it's like, you have less opportunities. So some of these new stats, they take, they strip those things out of it, which are a lot of luck based stuff. And they try to like, for example, WOBA W, you know, weighted on base average, it gives a different value, which is weighted for each base. So a double is worth more than a single. Whereas in batting average, all hits are worth equal, right? So if you hit a hundred jacks, versus 100 singles, you have the same batting average, but that doesn't tell the whole story. So, I mean, that's why I asked, are any of these new stats valuable to you? Because I, I think they're valuable. They just have this little bit of a sting where it's not what we grew up with. And it feels like we're trying to throw the other stuff out the, out the, out the window. But um, I don't well, know where my question is in there, but go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you, but just the, the WOBA you just mentioned, okay? So if I hit a double with two outs and nobody on base, and I get stranded second, that's more valuable than if I hit a single to drive in a run. So I would get more points for a double than a single that might help my team win the game? Well, it, so it, it's we're trying to quantify player quality over a large period of time, and you can't control that. So no one's saying that that's more valuable in that situation. But when you take the situations out of it, and you look at a 1,000 at-bats of a player, it's hard to say like, oh, well, this guy's more valuable because he got these three game-winning singles, whereas someone else might not have been placed in any situations to ever get a game-winning single, right? There's right. luck involved in coming up to the plate at that time. 
So there's clearly a lot of value, but it's just trying to just strip out some of the variables and say, hey, this is how much like damage this player does compared to this player. And that's, they're just trying to be more expressive. Like batting average isn't very expressive. It just says the amount of hits for the amount of at-bats. Whereas Woba says the amount of damage done potentially versus the amount of at-bats. Yeah, similar man. to slugging percentage. You know what I mean? Well, I understand that, you know, there's new stats. And, and I mean, I, I just, I'm so old school, man. I just don't really, you know, I always believed in the batting average was important when I was a kid. I, you know, I, I was impressed by the guys who led the league in hitting. I was impressed by Rod Carew. I would watch games just to watch Rod Carew hit and Tony Gwynn, even though I wasn't a fan of those teams, you know. I mean, batting average when I was growing up was everything. It was everything. And then, you know, then it was home runs and RBIs and stolen base for pitchers. It was wins and losses and ERA, you know, and now it's – you know, the argument I keep hearing, I know this is kind of off topic, um, but at the start of the show, you asked about players, you know, from my generation compared to players today. And I know a lot of this stuff that, uh, you know, the spin rate and, and all the velocities and stuff, you know, make it seem as if all these guys are so much better than um, the guys that I played against, you know, and, um, uh, those guys were – a lot of the guys I played against were pitchers. They didn't just throw the ball. Um, why did I have such good success against the guys that threw the hardest? Because they would challenge you, come right at you. But the toughest guys to hit were the guys like Tom Glavin and, and, and Greg Maddox and Jamie Moyer, the guys who changed speed and moved the ball all over the place. And, you know, you couldn't look for one specific pitch in a specific area. You just had to adjust. And to say the guys are better nowadays because, you know, we have all this data showing they throw harder, I, I think that's – I don't believe that's true. Rich, how much stock do you put into, into the data, the, the new age data for hitting um, – I know you've been pretty outspoken on Twitter about some of the guys that use exit velocity measurement just to judge their hitters, which, you know, a lot of guys are starting to do that now. Yeah, I can hit like mid nineties off a tee, but I suck. Like you would never want me. I think it's terrible, especially terrible uh, for young kids because you know they're going to overswing just trying to get a higher number to register, and that's not going to make them good hitters. They're going to be doing so many things wrong to uh, just get a higher reading off their exit velocity. And you know, even I've seen some videos of kids fielding ground balls. Um, and then taking five running steps and throwing into a net. And that's not what an infielder does. You catch a, a ground ball in the big leagues, you got to get rid of it now. You don't have five steps. So that's not a fair assessment of someone's arm strength, taking five steps in a crow hop and throwing it into a net. So I don't think it does much good. Rich, um, what do Jeff, you think oh, about the, the, new, like the new measurements for, that people are using for hitting? Exit velocity and launch angler are the biggest scam to hit baseball in my lifetime. Ooh, elaborate. They are. They don't prove anything. Every every minor leaguer that can't make the big leagues that has an impressive batting practice hitting bomb after bomb after bomb, do you think the scouts didn't know that his exit velocity was good and that his launch angle was good, yet he still can't hit in the big leagues? 
there's a more important metric called launch quickness. The ability to get your bat up to speed instantly. Aaron Judge could hit the ball 500 feet before me, but he couldn't hit in a game. Now he can. Is launch quickness quantifiable? Uh, yeah, we have a way to do it. Can you explain not, not a little in bit live about action. it? Not in live action, but it can be done. Can you explain a little bit how? No, it's a secret. <laughs> cool. Um, so, Jeff. I will have, I hope to have a device that measures it. I'm not going to give away the, the uh, intellectual property. Okay. So, what advanced stats do you look for, Rich, uh, as far as like, giving you insight into how one of your hitters is doing or what metrics do you like to see? You know, if you're working with a guy who's coming to you for the first time, what, what stats help you say that you guys are on the right track? First thing I want to know is their OPS. That's basically the only one I really, really concerned with. I like to see their batting average. I don't have a problem with batting average. I don't have a problem with um, RBIs, but I want to see their OPS. Combined on base percentage and slugging. Okay. Any others? Nope. Jeff, what uh, I have there's a couple of guys jumping in here that and they want to know what you teach or you know what you would teach hitters, but I know you probably you don't work with that many hitters um, on the youth level or even maybe in the the upper ranks, but if you had to give advice, if you're in the cage, you get invited back to spring training, you know, what are you saying in the cage? What, are, you know, what's the talking points? Uh, you know, what are you trying to hit on? I guess, try and get a, get across to help someone like me, you know, guy that was in the minor leagues, similar to you, uh, needs a little help trying to find some success. Well, I wouldn't, first off, if, uh, you know, I'd have to see your swing or whatever. I mean, I, I don't really spend much time looking at people's swings. I, you know, if you're hitting the ball hard, I can hear it. I can hear if you're hitting the ball hard. But what if they're not hitting the ball hard? Huh? But what if they're not hitting the ball hard? Well, then I'd have to see that individual person. I can't say there's one specific thing I would – that you Call you know. me. Well that's, well, that's the thing, right, is I'm in the – you know, this is – end of June we're mid-season in a normal season baseball season and you know you're you're a roving hitting guy and I'm in the cage and I'm struggling and I feel like like look I'm not hitting the game my batting practice feels good I'm driving the ball in the gap you know how did you get out of a get out of a funk how did you know what were you thinking in the box what were you looking for you know can you I'm I'm the sinking ship at this point and I feel like we've all been there in in the baseball like at some point in our playing career like it's just no light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's not a good place to be. I mean, it's when not, I was in no. those situations, it was uh, just try to simplify things, try to think of the time when I felt really, really good and what I was doing. And for me, always working back up the middle, trying to hit line drives up the middle, going the other way, always got me locked in again. Where I would get in troubles, I might smoke, pull a couple of balls, or maybe hit a home run, which was unusual for a Judy. And then I would kind of get out of myself and, and maybe start getting a little pull happy and pulling off the ball. So then I would, you know, then focus more on keeping my front shoulder square, driving the ball on the line up the middle, and that usually got me back going. That all sounds like mechanics to me. 
So what are your general philosophies, Jeff? I know, like I said, you've talked over and over about it not being civic to one player, but what are your overall philosophies that you think? Because like, obviously, I'll give you an example. I'm not a hitting guy, but I know like your front foot's got to get down before your hips go, right? So what? What, are some, what are some of the general things that you think need to happen for every hitter? Um, you need to be balanced. You need to have uh, – well, Specifically, what does that mean as far as being balanced? I mean, when the, you stride, you need to be balanced. Like more weight on your back leg, on your front leg. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm digging because more and more people are asking. They want to know what Jeff Fry teaches. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing so. it's, it's, there's not one way to do it. Some guys are front foot hitters and are successful. Some guys are more, you know, back leg hitters are successful. It just each person is, is different. It's hard for me to generalize one specific thing. Uh, basically, you know, I would try to keep my head still get my foot down before I swung and uh, look for the pitch I was looking for and try not to miss it. And I didn't miss it very often when I swung. I, I'm not one of those guys that believes you have to be in the proper position on every pitch. Sometimes you might be a little out front. Sometimes you might be a little late. The key for me was to uh, – when I got my pitch, I didn't miss it. So if there's – a lot of different ways to potentially skin this cat and hit. Um, do you see any merit in what Rich teaches? Could it work for some people? No. No, not when, not when your star pupil is 6'8", 270 pounds and can miss hit balls out of the ballpark. Well, take Aaron Judge out of the equation. I mean, just seeing um, just some of what he teaches, where, where, where do you find the most fault in it? Dropping the barrel. Is that do, can you like, say that again? You were breaking up, Jeff. Um, just dropping the barrel and supinating this right here. I don't see how that. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Rich, you want to respond to that? Yeah, and Rich. Sure do. Um, Aaron Judge is six seven two eighty. Scott Kingery's five nine one eighty. Both of them doing what I teach. Both of them barreling balls. Here's Scott and supinating. Here's Scott supinating, taking 98 mile an hour from Walker Bueller up at his shoulders out of the park. But uh, Judy will tell you, don't do it. Yeah. So, Rich, who are some successful? This is a question we got from uh, Periscope. Who are some successful big leaguers that don't hit in the way that you'd like to see them hit? Whose swings do you think are suboptimal? Nolan Arenado is one that's come up a couple times, and I don't know anything about his swing. The only thing I don't like about Arenado is his head. He does he does what I teach with the rest of his body. Um, I don't. I quite honestly, uh, I don't pay attention to hitters that don't do it right. Uh, but I can tell you, there's very few in the Cardinals that do it right. So take your pick. Any any specifics? One I got was uh, I don't know if you've looked at him in the past, but Frank Thomas seems to have kind of an unorthodox swing. Kind of front foot and uh, no, he's not a front foot hitter. Neither was that, Roberto Clemente. That was my own. So maybe I misspoke when I said that. But tell us a little bit about Frank Thomas, if you could. I don't. Uh, I don't. I I can see his swing in my mind. I have looked at it in the past, but I haven't looked at it in a long time. So I'm not prepared okay. to talk about Frank Thomas. Okay. Fair, en fair enough. I am Dan. Go for it, Jeff. Yeah, I played against Frank Thomas a long time. He was absolutely a front foot hitter. 
Absolutely not. He launched his bat off of his rear leg. Let, let him let him finish, Rich. He had let a him finish. Forward momentum than most, but he launched off his back leg. Go go, uh, Jeff. Frank Thomas uh, did the Walt Reniac style of hitting, which all the White Sox did back then. They had these funny finishes with their swings. Harold Baines had it. Lance Johnson, Davey Martinez. All these guys had that. A lot of these guys were out front. I played with the White Sox organization in winter ball. They taught these guys to hit that way. So, I mean, I probably played 50 games in my career against Frank Thomas. And Thomas I got a funny story about Frank Thomas for you, Richie, because I killed the White Sox. And every time we were standing around the batting cage, Frank Thomas, when they were stretching next to the cage, would say, hey, Fry, how many hits you getting today? Two, three, because he knew I was a good hitter. And he's a Hall of Famer. So when you say front foot hitter, so when I think front foot hitter, I think a guy that actively like gets to his front foot before the bat starts to come through the zone. Like it's a, I picture someone fooled, you know, and when I'm picturing Frank Thomas, I mean, I grew up a White Sox fan. So Frank Thomas was front and center of those nineties teams. Um, I don't, I can't picture him like lunging at the ball, but Again, like he did have an unorthodox swing. Um, so, Jeff, when you say front foot hitter, is that am I describing like what you're like what you see when you when you say that guy like a guy that gets to his front foot first? Because I picture a guy that gets fooled. Like pitchers, Dan's a pitcher. You know, whenever I heard pitchers talk about you know how they work somebody, they're always trying to get somebody to their front side. So that's it made sense to me to not try and actively get to my front side. So when I, you know when I picture somebody getting their front side early, it, it's some, it's a fooled swing. Rich. Let, so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Rich, how do you teach hitters to make adjustments? Um, first of all, the barrel is launched rearward when it's launched because it's launched rearward. You are not making a commitment to a specific point for contact. And as the barrel comes around the corner, you're aiming or intending to hit the spot you decided or chose when you launched, but you have the ability to move it a different direction and still go up through the ball with power because it was launched rearward. If you launch forward, you're making a commitment the moment you launch to a specific spot. And if you have to, if the ball moves and you have to make a, an adjustment, you are toast. Jeff, what, what were adjustments, you know, considered when you were playing? Like coach tells you, make an adjustment. What was the first thing you, uh, you, you kind of went to? Well, the thing, when I would get in trouble, I would get under the ball and I'd get, I hit pop-ups. So I had uh, one of my best friends uh, to this day, uh, when I came up in 92 with the Rangers, was uh, one of the batting practice pitchers for the Rangers. And um, so he threw to me in the offseason all the time. And um, whenever I would hit the ball on the top of the cage and get under it, he would yell at me to keep my hands up. So I'd basically, when I started swinging, I would get here and collapse instead of swinging like this and hitting line drives. So that's what worked for me. Yeah, for for me, and I want to, Rich, I want your input on this. Uh, for me, an adjustment was always mental. If I was late, I needed to try and be early. If I was early, I would try and drive the ball the other way, you know, 
whatever. Make my adjustments were always the opposite of what I was doing poorly to try and get myself back to neutral because neutral was always you know drive the ball gap to gap uh, line drives. Um, but I, in the cage, we you know sometimes guys would give you mechanical adjustments, and to me a mechanical adjustment felt like there's more going on up here than I needed mentally. Um, and for me, confidence is the biggest hitting tool of all. So I always wanted something to keep my confidence up. And that's what I want to toss to Rich is that, you know, you've mentioned a couple of the pro guys, if they're struggling, they call you in and you're really just there to boost their confidence. Um, can you, I know I've heard you say that before. Can you, is that, am I correctly uh, describing that? for adjustments when you work with your big league guys? Pretty much. Um, as far as talking around the turtle before the game, I mean, I don't, I don't do that, and I don't suggest that. I think your work has to be done much prior to that. And you, when you get in the box, you just have to compete. Um, but hopefully what you worked on comes out. But I often go to the city of a player I work with, sometimes real often, and it's in the middle of the season and they're not feeling what I've taught them properly. So we work on them getting that feeling, the feeling of the stretch of the torso against the leg that snaps, that makes the leg snap, that gives you the, the quickness you need to hit at their level. So when we work on that, um, they develop some confidence that they take, then take to the game. So um, what's interesting to me is every time I go, it seems like I'm saying the same things, doing the same drills. And I, as I leave, I often ask myself, why did they need me? Why couldn't they have done that without me? And I've just kind of decided that they oftentimes get into a funk where they're, they're very likely to be doing it right, but they need me to tell them they're doing it right. And as soon as I tell them they're doing it right, now they have both the confidence and the mechanic. Here's Frank Thomas on the screen. It's definitely mm -hmm. not a front leg swing. That's one swing. Is that a Blue Jays, Frank Thomas? Yeah. Looks like it. I can't approve of Frank Thomas in anything other than a White Sox jersey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, that's – I mean, that's a good – I think that's a good point that – and I, Jeff, I'm sure you've probably been there, as have I, like the – I don't know if the validation from somebody is what gave gave me the confidence. I mean, if I was struggling, I would always call my dad. Like my dad was one that taught me basically everything I knew about baseball. So if I had something going on, especially in pro ball, you know, first person I call after a game, whatever he says, even if it's not uh, like a mechanical adjustment or anything even relevant to what I was struggling with, it was look have some confidence like you're at you're there for a reason you know go out do what you do and just so that little bit of validation would usually snap you snap me out of whatever was going on just mentally um you know did you have a guy like that in pro ball jeff that was that you would like turn to just if for nothing else and to kind of like hey it's good like go do what you do i mean i loved it when our uh roving hitting coach would come into town you know Rudy Hadamio, he just—he was a, a fiery guy, and he just—I mean—he just made you believe you could run through a wall, and you would do anything to impress Rudy. You know, you wanted to have a three-hit game, and Rudy was in town because he was going to be high-fiving you and 
and you know, fist bumping you in the dugout, and kind of the same thing with the, you know, with our infield instructor, roving infield instructor was Perry Hill, and when he would come to town, you know, I'd want to make some great plays or do turn a good double play, you know, it was like we, you love these guys because you know these guys are bleeding for you, and these guys are there, um, you know, trying to do you get you know achieve your dream and and that's one of the things that I think um, has changed today because all those coaches and all my managers that I had in the minor leagues they all helped me in one way or another get to the big leagues and I've never heard one of them take credit for that you know but now everybody wants to take credit everybody wants to take credit for what they did to a player you know I made this guy this I made this guy that no you didn't the player did it. You may have had some impact, but you didn't do it because you didn't go on that field and hit those 52 home runs the player did. And I think we need to get away from that because real coaches aren't taking credit all the time. Actually, Judy, um, I haven't taken credit. I was given credit. And when you attacked what I teach, I've offered the credit that I was given to support what I teach. Be nice if you could stay on point. Rich, Jeff, do, um, you, do you feel like that, you know, you're wearing the shirt, the Shigon movement, um, that a lot of the guys that follow you and comment on your stuff uh, kind of echo. Is that the sentiment of, of what that hashtag is that, you know, what, or what is the sentiment, I guess, that, of the overall Shigon hashtag? You know, I, I, like I said earlier, it just kind of came as, you know, as a joke and, and, as I started getting more and more followers and stuff, they, you know, everybody wanted to make a shirt. And, you know, really the, the Shigon movement stands for three things, okay? It stands for, uh, you know, teaching kids the basic fundamentals of baseball and not one cookie-cutter type swing. Um, basically, uh, especially at a young age, kids should be having fun playing this game. And make it fun, coaches. Um, don't try to turn your 12-year-old into a big leaguer. They need to have fun because if they're not having fun, they're going to quit, you know, and, and they're going to go do something else. The other thing is, um, like we touched on earlier, um, I think there's a lot of people out there teaching hitting that aren't qualified to do good. There's a lot of them, and a lot of them teaching garbage. Um, the other thing is I think that uh, there's a problem in our game. I think the game – for me, someone who grew up watching baseball, you know, three-hour baseball games on the couch with my grandmother when I was eight years old, Giants against the Dodgers, I loved baseball my whole life and loved the, st the strategy and all the, the nuances of the game. And, you know, the, I think a lot of that's been removed with all this data. And, and, I, and I think there's a lot of good baseball men that are no longer employed in this game and people um, – that have taken their places who have no real experience about what it is to be a, a major league baseball player. You think this girl's having fun? You need to get some Adderall, Richie. I think you, you got think 80. This, you think this girl's having fun? Let me show I you. I hope so. Is. She's playing softball. She better be having fun. Otherwise, Let me tell you what it. was real fun. That was her freshman year, fall of her freshman year. By spring of her freshman year, she's an All-Stater, a four-year All-Stater. I bet she had a lot more fun. I agree. I think that is beautiful because that's what you teach, Richie. 
a softball swing, and you should stick to teaching softball girls because you're really good at it. Oh, you think you really made a point there, and 95% of the world out there knows that softball swing is the exact same as a baseball swing. Are you kidding me, Judy? A moving ball and a bat, it's two different swings because the ball is bigger? Are you serious? (sighs) You need to take a shower. Uh, we got a question on Twitter uh, from Mike Coney. We have, a, we have a couple we need to catch up on. Yeah, yeah. I just want to get to Mike. Mike commented a few times. It's for, it's for Jeff, and I think it segues good because Rudy Jaramillo was brought up. Uh, do, you, do you feel like someone has to play pro ball to teach at that level? And, you know, is it that important to you as a, as a former big leaguer? No, not at all. Not at all. Rudy never played in the big leagues. Rudy played, I think, brief a few years in the minor leagues. But Perry Hill was the infield guy. Uh, he's regarded as one of the best in the game. And he played college baseball. He was a great – he is the probably the one coach who had the most – Is I would give the most credit for me making the big leagues because he taught me how to be a good second baseman. And I wasn't before he taught me. Yeah, I had a really good infield coach in the minor leagues. Um, had a couple, actually. Uh, we talked about Denny Hawking off air, but Mike Bordick, uh, yeah. big yeah. leaguer. And then um, Bobby Dickerson, who I believe is coaching in the big leagues. If he wasn't with the – he was with the Orioles, but I'm not sure where he's at now. But uh, stuck behind Derek Jeter for his whole career. So tough, yeah. tough draw for him. Go ahead, Dan. What do you got for us? Rich, a couple of people have asked, uh, why don't Judge and Scott Kingery work with you anymore? It's not true. Okay, Seth, can you elaborate, set the record straight then? I just did. It's not true. So do you work with them regularly? When's the last time? Bobby, what did I tell you about this broadcast? Yeah, we were, we were debating on the day or time because Rich might, may have had to be out of town um, working with one of those guys. Okay. Anyone else on your on your client list that you want to talk about, or just tell people? What's the question? People are asking who you work with. Um, I work with Scott. Work with Ian. Work with Aaron. Um, there's a a whole host of people that prefers it to remain secret because their organization doesn't want them working with people outside. Um, there's other people that want to keep it secret because they're just not into the Twitter war. They don't want to get drawn in. Um, both Aaron and Ian and Scott have publicly endorsed me in publications or Twitter or one or the other. Um, just had two Division One college kids sign contracts. Got a first rounder this year. Um, Several fourth rounders over the years. A lot of people in the minor leagues up and coming. I just had two people, uh, not going to tell you their organization, but they were here. They had eight sessions over the last couple of days. Um, Got more people coming in from out of town. Um, I'm not short on work. Rich, when you – so that's when you bring in someone like that for eight sessions, it's a pro guy, I assume a minor leaguer, but maybe not um, just a professional baseball player. What do those eight sessions consist of? Is it strictly, I mean, I've been in, uh, been around when you talk hitting, but when you're specifically one-on-one, is it, is it ever approach? Is it all mechanics? Is there a blend? You know, what are you, what are you focusing on? Why are they 
you know, what are they seeking? I don't teach approach. I teach mechanics. I teach the ability for your barrel to get up to speed instantly. Yeah, and for those of you, those because a number of people have asked that today. That they say, hey, are we talking about approach? Like, what does Rich think? Of? And I've said, like, Rich stays in his lane. His lane is mechanics. Is that is that accurate, Rich? That's accurate. And yeah, what and, I, and to all of those out there, I think that's very reasonable. If you start to go around the internet, everyone has different specialties. I don't talk about mechanics a ton. I do so more on my my YouTube channel a little bit. But like for me, I like talking strategy more than I like mechanics. I could like for me as a pitching guy, I'm kind of well-rounded, but I still would say that my lane, if I had to pick one would be like the strategy side. You talk about someone on the pitching side, like Brent Porcio, he's very much like the pitching velocity, pitching mechanics side. And he stays in that lane. And there's lots of different people who are like that. And that's completely fine. Jeff, I'd say your lane is approach and strategy and baseball IQ. Is that right? Yes. So as far as like arguing that part across each other, like that really hasn't been a part of today. Like Jeff is really passionate about, uh, the baseball IQ, the strategy, he like, he loves that part of the game and, and rich stays in the hitting mechanics biomechanics lane. And that's perfectly okay. So for anyone who doesn't, you know, if you're asking about that, um, I think that's a good thing, honestly, for the web, because sometimes as the game has grown to more people who didn't maybe play in the major leagues or didn't play pro ball for people to stay in like this lane, like, Hey, I don't talk about approach cause I didn't play in the minors. So I don't really talk about it. I leave that to guys that did. I think that's a, a very reasonable thing. Just like a lot of the front office and analytics people, they talk about what they know and they're not trying to teach players how to run the bases, right? Um, Bobby, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the difficult part about it is a lot of the guys on Twitter and where this kind of all started um, are working with, like you almost have to try and do both with younger players. Like you have to kind of teach them a, a a mechanically sound swing. I mean, if they hold the bat on the barrel and they swing behind them, like obviously that's a, that's a shitty swing. So you gotta, you know, if I work with a a 15 year old kid and he's got a shitty swing, I need to try and fix that. Language, Bobby language. Crappy. We made it so far without. (laughs) I I made it a long time without swing. Robert. Uh, But if he's got a bad swing, I need to fix that. But then it's also okay. Like you spend all that time fixing it. Well, now he needs to learn how to hit. You know, if he just stands in the box and takes his good swing, quote unquote, good swing three times, he's probably not going to be a good hitter. He's just going to be a kid that can swing. So then they have to kind of blend. And that's where Twitter is tough because coaches and most of the time it's just parents seeking out information for their kids. And if I'm a dad and I've got a young kid, like I want my kid to have a good swing, but I'll, you know, maybe what Rich teaches, but I also want him to have the competitive approach and mindset that Jeff has. So how do I combine both of those and people on Twitter being not forced to take a side, but it's, it's contentious over two points that aren't necessarily overlapping with mechanics and approach. Whatever your approach is, will you be better at it if you're quicker? I I think so. Yeah, for sure. Which is, which is trying to blend the two, right? Like we're trying, if, if I could in a perfect world, blend the, Barry Bonds' mechanics with the – Barry Bonds' plate discipline Barry and Barry Bonds', Bonds approach, approach and Barry guess, Bonds' – yeah, like, yeah, he's good. Yeah. It, guy's that was good, my, all my right? Point, that was my point earlier, yeah. That a bat with him against Eric Gagne when Gagne was in his prime doing like all the steroids in the world and just throwing 96 mile per hour sliders, that a bat where Bonds like fought a couple off and took a couple and then took him dead center is just like amazing. Jeff, you know that a bat I'm talking about? 
Yeah, and I actually faced Gagne. I faced Gagne, I think, the year before, and he was a starter throwing 90. And then the next year he come back looking like one of the Hanson brothers throwing 99. <laughs> Bugs Bunny changeup and that 60-mile-an-hour curveball. That's a deep He's, cut, the Hanson brothers. The movie Slapshot, for those of you who haven't seen it, is the best movie. It's so good. It's a hockey, minor league hockey movie with Paul Newman. He's a Canadian guy. I'm sure he grew up playing hockey, so I'm, I guarantee he wouldn't be offended by that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, Bonds was just a, a special hitter in general. And there's a, there's a um, SB Nation YouTube video, which it's by this guy. What's his name? John something. Um, but it basically it's like a thought experiment and that the, the whole point of the video was if bonds played one of his best seasons and he didn't have a bat, but the pitchers didn't know that he didn't have a bat, like what would his, his season stats have been? Uh, it just like pre, they just assumed that he just would never swing essentially. And he still would have had like better numbers than everyone else. Really interesting. So if you're out there and you want to watch it on the SB nation YouTube channel, you could find it. Um, well- but I have questions for both of you guys. Okay. I'm going to cut you off, Bob. So there's not one hitting instructor who's 100% of any given thing. Richard, who are some other guys that you think teach the game or the swing the right way? And also throw the, the same question up to you, Jeff. But Rich, why don't you go first? What are, what are some other hitting guys in the industry that you feel like do a good job or you like what they do? Juan Soriano, Les Nozzle, Chez Angeloni, Michael Piercy. Justin Girardo. And are they... I'm sorry if I missed one. Do they do anything different than you do, or they simply essentially teach what you teach, or what's, what, what's their story? They teach what I teach. Okay, Jeff, what about you? Have you yeah, I mean, I'm the one, I'm, see, and, and I'm the one who has the big ego, but the only people that teach the swing properly are Richard and the people he trained, right? That's not egotistical. I never claimed I didn't have an ego. Yeah, I mean, you claim I do, and I don't. That's <laughs> well, my, Jeff, that's the part. I mean, well, Jeff, to, I didn't claim you had an ego. I claimed you you're a dumb fuck who can't even explain what I teach. It you criticize. You haven't even done anything. How can you have an ego? That's what's funny about it. But no, I haven't done anything. Um, Scott, um, Scott Tingley gives me a because he got sixty-nine million dollars. I haven't done anything. Professional career. I uh, never had one coach ever talk to me about a swing. Not one. Yeah. And you ended up at Judy. I had Rudy Hadamio. I had uh, Jim Rice, Clint Hurdle, Brooke Jacoby, uh, Gary Gaetti, Leon Roberts, uh, Willie Upshaw. I had some pretty good hitting coaches. There's a Judy on the screen right now. You, why do you act like a child, Richard? I mean, Dan, I've about had enough. I mean, have y'all got had enough questions? I mean, we can't even get him to act like a grown-up. Uh, yeah, Rich, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you'd just call him by his name at this point. Uh, I think you've made your point. But, Jeff, are there any guys on the web, like modern hitting guys that you've seen? Like, there's a number of other ones that are, I think, well-respected hitting guys out there. Have you – so I know you've, you've criticized a lot of players, but I think one of the things a lot of people have asked is, if Jeff is saying this is the wrong way to do it, well, then who, who does Jeff think does it the right way? And you haven't offered a lot of stuff about mechanics, um, which is okay if that's your thing. But where should people turn to mechanics? Because right now you you sort of like tried to burn Rich to the ground, but at the same time you haven't really offered any alternatives mechanics-wise. So what other guys on the web would you say, this is like someone I think is doing a good job? I mean, I really don't pay much attention to it. I'd be lying if I told you I did. I mean, I don't think I had 
tried to burden Rich to the ground. I think he's pretty much doing that to himself, just the way he acts like a child. Okay, but, well, I'm uh, sorry if that was the wrong way to say it then. Okay. I mean, I know there's a lot of good hitting guys out there. I just don't really research. And, and, and I never talk bad about players. I mean, you said that. I, I don't think you meant to say that, but I don't talk bad about players. No, I, I didn't mean to say that. If I said that, I'm sorry. That was not my – I didn't think I didn't think you meant no. to say that. Mm-hmm. I'll never criticize players. And the funny thing about all this is uh, Aaron Judge is one of my favorite players. The first time I saw him interviewed um, after a Yankee game and I saw the class that he has and the way he speaks and he's very humble, I was like, man, this is the dude they need to take Derek Jeter's place because he just seems like such a good dude. And I hate that he's associated with someone who's trying to take credit for him, for his success. Bob? Rich, any, you have any, any? Rich, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I think I agree. I think Aaron Judge is, seems like a great guy by all accounts. He's a pretty humble guy. I think he's a good hitter. I mean, he did second MVP voting the one year, so he's, he's had some success. Uh, Rich, he, any comment to what Jeff said? Um, I was given credit. I didn't take it. It's fair enough. Um, okay. Any any final statements by either of you guys? Anything you just want our audience to know? Anywhere you want to direct them? Jeff, let you go first. No, I just like say uh, thanks to, to you guys, to you Dan and you Bobby for you know taking the time and and uh, I know this is I think our second time. We've been yeah, we appreciate having you together and I respect you guys and you guys have been, uh, you know, very respectful toward me. I know, you know, we're all entitled to our own opinion, man. And, and you guys believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. I just know I love this game. I've been in it my whole life. I was, you know, lucky enough to play in the big leagues for somebody who's a 30th round draft pick as a senior at NAI school. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, I, you know, I would like to thank all my she gone family members, uh, she gone movement because, uh, the, the she gone movement, you know, is a bunch of people who love the game too, you know, and they just want, uh, they, they just want, uh, what's best for the game and what's best for kids. And that's about it, man. Okay. Rich, anything? Yep. Um, you can listen to Jeff or you can listen to this guy. Or you can listen to this guy. Or maybe this will be interesting to you. A lot of former big leaguers, they all have their opinion. You can be a Judy or you can learn to hit. Great message. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, thank you both for coming on. I thought, you know, I thought there would be (laughs) – there'd be more fireworks than there were, even though there was a little bit of back and forth, but um, I, I fall on the, I fall on the spot of, I agree with what Rich teaches mechanically. Like it made sense to me. It made like it clicked in my head and I agree with Jeff. I agree with almost all the stuff you say about playing the game and it just makes like that resonated with me. And then, like I said, that line, I feel like that neither one of you guys, cross today as far as talking about you know rich didn't talk much about approach jeff you didn't go into mechanics all that much like if there's some way to combine those and and overlap and to make yourself a, a better player i think that's what all these 
all these parents and guys like myself back when I was playing are searching for. And it's, and it's hard to navigate, you know, I think we pointed out earlier what players say if you're sitting in the cage with Bonds or Pujols and trying to make that work for yourself. And sometimes it's guys breaking it down literally on video, and sometimes it's guys telling you, hey, you need to stay on top of the ball and you need to do this and feel this. So I, it, there's room in baseball, I think, for, for everybody. And I, I welcome the, the overlap in, in teaching. I don't, uh, I don't know where, you know, where one stops and the other begins, but I think it's good conversation to be having. And I, I thoroughly enjoy it on Twitter as many of the people watching, if they follow me can, uh, can attest. attest. Yeah. Well, for all of you listening, thanks for being here. So just to to reiterate, uh, this show will be on replay on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash just Google my name. I'm Dan Blewett. It will also be here on my Twitter feed as well. It just stays there. And then if you want to listen, if you want to catch back up on podcast land, it's on iTunes. It'll be on Spotify later today, like all the major podcast platforms. So if you're interested in sticking with the show or just you want to catch the replay of this one, it'll be there. So thank you for watching. Again, Jeff, really appreciate you coming on. I always like to hear your perspective. And I mean, you've had an amazing career. And Rich, I appreciate you uh, being as patient as you can with me because I'm a pitching guy and I don't know. So I'm just trying to moderate and help uh, help some of the viewers understand. But I appreciate your your expertise and coming on the show and Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you here next time on the Morning Brushback.